Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, and uh, we're going to start by going deep. We're going to grab the oysters uh, way down deep, and uh, we're going to extract the pearls. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Now, in chapter 8, Paul has already said a lot of things, so we're kind of picking things up midstream, but he's about to recap or, or, or better kind of conclude all that he has been saying up to this point. And he starts in verse 29 by saying, for whom he, speaking of God, foreknew. Now, according to the Bible, you and I are not afterthoughts in the mind of God. Before he planned any stream, any river, or any valley, God had all of us on our mind, and he knew exactly what we would do before we did it. In fact, God measured every effect of our free will, and he knew that he would suffer because of it, but he decided that our existence was already well worth his pain. An angel asked Jesus, you know, what is a human being worth? And his only answer was he stretched out his arms. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I think a better way to say that, I think that makes it more practical, is to instead of saying predestined, we can say that he predetermined. In fact, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 explains this word. He says, for I am God and there is none other. I am God and there is none like me. Then the Holy Spirit lists one of the chief characteristics of deity, omniscience. He says, declaring the end from the beginning. Now, God does not see things in three stages like, like we do. We see, you know, the, the, the past, the present, and, and the future. We think in, in those terms. However, God sees both the past, the present, and the future, all three of those things, all at the same time. So God's perspective is very, very different than ours. It's not linear. It's not in a straight line. He sees it all together. That, that's part of what makes him God. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. God has already seen everything that is, everything that has been, and everything that, that will come. And he said this, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my what? Pleasure. God is not just watching the parade of history. He created the very parade itself. Let's go back to Romans 8 and 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined or predetermined. The fact that God knows it or knows everything from the beginning does not impede our freedom. It doesn't impede either our, our responsibility. I, I recently watched a, a 1991 a championship game, you know, with, with the Bulls versus the Lakers. Many of you may remember that game. But as I watched the game, the winner of the game had already been predetermined. I knew who was going to win the game. But still, every play, every shot, every, every, every jump was freely made at that time by all the players. So for God, you know, what was new to us today is, is like God watching a rerun because he sees it all at, at the same time. God is 100% certain of all of our outcomes before time began, but every person is still 100% free to make the choices while we're still in the game that, that we make. So let me see if I can say that better. God is 100% certain 
of, of how this game is going to end. He knows all of our decisions before we make it. We, he knows where we're going to end up. And he knows that before, you know, the, the earth began its first rotation. But nonetheless, every person is still free to participate and make choices in the game. And we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And here's the deal. You may come easy or you may come hard, but the die is cast for every single believer. The day is coming where each of us is going to look exactly like Jesus. So don't let your current state trouble you. The day we plant a seed is not the day we eat its fruit. So, so hang in there. You, you may not be there yet, but God knows the end from the beginning. That he might be the firstborn or preeminent or chief among many, not just a few. God expects his house to be full, and that's why we are a church. And this is why we are, are so busy reaching, empowering, assimilating, and leading in the highways and the byways. He was to be the firstborn among many what? Brethren. God saw it all before the world began. But what's amazing is after watching the video, seeing all that we would do and all the choices we would make, he still chose to call us brethren. Now, I might have some, some, some other choice words to use if I could foresee everything that everyone would do and say about me, but God saw all our mistakes but still called us his brothers and his sisters. To know that God knows everything about us but still loves us is really one of the greatest comforts we have as Christians. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So God foresaw all of our responses to his son Jesus. He, 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 he saw how we respond when the message of forgiveness, mercy, and grace was, was released. And we, we, we not only heard it through ministers and preachers, we saw it with the sun rising and setting. We, 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 we felt it and experienced when the breeze hit our skin, despite the, the, the wrong we had done that yet day. All of us have responded in some way to the mercy and the grace of God. And when he saw our response, he set into motion an eternal domino effect that resulted, according to the scripture, in calling, justification, and glorification. Now, we may be surprised by what happens in our lives, but God is never surprised. Nothing takes him by surprise. In fact, what we're dealing with today, he knew a thousand, ten thousand, a million years ago, he knew that all of us would face this moment. So, so if it's dark right now, don't worry, because sometimes God flips off all the lights right before he gives us some of the best surprises. What then shall we say to these things? If God knows everything about me, but chooses me every, anyway, or if God knows everything about you and chooses you anyway, if, if it's only a matter of time before each of us are conformed into the image of Jesus, if, if God who, who, who loves me more than his own life is not depressed over my future, the question is, why should any of us be? Zephaniah 3 and 17 says this, it says, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. Now, according to the Bible, God looks at each of our futures and he's glad. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. According to the Bible, God is so happy about our future 
that, that it has him singing songs. And uh, God is not depressed. God is not upset because he sees the end from the beginning. Let's go back to, to Romans chapter 8, and verse 31. And then he asks this question, what shall we say to these things? Again, if, if God knows everything about us but chose us anyway, if it's only a matter of time before all of us look exactly like Jesus, if God who loves us more than his own life is not depressed over our future, why should any of us be? So what he's doing is he's driving home some, some real practical points, and, and God has made a real strong argument. And in the next seven questions, he kind of wraps up all that he's been saying in, in, in chapter 8 with these seven questions. And if we begin to answer these questions in our hearts and minds, it will absolutely change our attitude, and it will give us confidence on a level that, that we have not imagined. Let's begin with question one. He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Frederick Douglass once said, one in God is a majority. One more time, one in God make a majority. As long as God is for you, it really doesn't matter who's against you. Watch question number two. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if God has already given you the ultimate gift, why would we doubt that he would give us lesser gifts or smaller gifts like paying our bills, healing our bodies, or, or some of the minor things that we need in life? Watch question number three. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who uh, justifies. And what he's saying is if the highest court in the land rules in your favor, I mean the Supreme Court rules in your favor, what the lower courts say really doesn't matter. What God know, knows about me is more important than what anyone might think about me. Then he moves to question number four. And these are important questions, and, and, and I want to take you through them slowly so that, that you could begin to answer. Matter of fact, I'm going to go up and, and repeat. And by the way, I'm getting used to talking to an empty room, so it's a little uncomfortable for me. But uh, I, 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 I'm imagining you on the other side of this, this camera at this moment. So I'm going to go back up to one. And question one was, if God be for us, who can be against us? This needs to be our thinking. If God's on my side, what, what are you? I mean, who, who are you? Two, if God didn't spare his own son, but cause him and to, to, to give up his life for us, will he not give us all things? I mean, if he gave us a gift that big, that important, what are these tiny things that we're, we're worried about? What, what, what's all that about? What's all the worry about? God already gave us the best. You are listening to the Live Big Broadcast with Derek Greer. We are in a series from the beginning of the pandemic titled No Fear. Remember, you can access this teaching and the full series at gracechurchva.org slash no fear. Let's get back to the message. Then he goes on, who shall bring, this is question three, a charge against God's elect? Again, if, if the Supreme Court has, has ruled in your favor. You're going to be okay. It doesn't matter what, what the minor courts and the court of public opinion, maybe the court of your family, the court of, of even your own judgment. It really doesn't matter what those courts may say. All that matters is what God says. Question number four, who is he who condemns? These are questions that we need to answer in our own minds and, and, and hearts when we face fear and, and get worried and anxious. Now, now, here's the question. Who is he who what condemns? Who's constantly in our ears trying to make us feel worthless? Who's the one constantly whispering that we should throw in the towel, give up, we'll never win? Well, according to the Bible, that's not God. 
The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. We can't confuse God and the devil. And we need to understand if the devil is that voice and God has spoken to us by his word, guess whose voice has greater authority? What God says matters and trumps what the adversary says. Who is he who condemns? And then he says, and I'm going to reverse the uh, it is. Is it Christ who died and furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? So is it the one that died for us that's making us feel hopeless and, and helpless? Is it the one that's praying for you, pulling for you, the one that has given it all for you? Uh, he's doing everything possible to help you win. Is he the one trying to bring you down? Is God really the one against you? No. Always remember that, that Jesus' intercession is always greater than Satan's accusations against us. And then he goes on. He's asking these questions. These are questions that each of us have to answer in this time. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anything that can happen to make the one who knows everything about us but loved us first anyway love us any less god's not surprised by me so there's nothing i can do to make him not love me because he already decided before the world began that i was the object of his affection same with you there's nothing we could do there's nothing that can happen to cause god to love us less then he goes on and he has this list in verse uh, actually it's question number seven shall tribulation sorrows Anybody ever experienced some disappointments in life? And just because you're disappointed doesn't mean that God's forsaken you. Shall, shall tribulation, shall uh, distress, has anyone ever faced some hardships in, uh, that, that, that's tuned in today? We all have. Maybe persecution. And we all have haters. We all have some folks that, that don't like us and try to trip us up and, and do us harm. Or, or, or famine. How many of us have gone to the supermarket and found there was no more food or at least no more toilet paper? Or nakedness. Any of us ever been homeless or peril? Any of us ever go to the store and then find out that all the bullets were sold out because uh, folks on the streets were, were frightened and the fear was, was, was so strong? Or sword. Has anyone ever wondered if you were going to survive the, the day? Have you ever experienced any of these things? And here's the question. If you did or if you have, it doesn't mean God's abandoned you. And what the devil does is he comes and says, God's abandoning you because you're in this crisis. God's abandoning you because you just had an argument with your spouse. God's abandoning you because that, that child has, has, has done that thing or said that thing. God's abandoning you because, you know what, you don't know if your, your next paycheck is coming in. The devil is a liar. But, but my Bible says, my God shall meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. So I, I hear what the devil's saying, but you know what? What he's saying really doesn't matter compared to what my God is saying about the situation. And in crises like this, we got to hold on to God's word. You got to know God's word. And the Bible says that we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. The issue is we're believing lies. We're believing what the adversary says versus the truth. And we're in bondage to the lies and some of what the media is saying, the anxiety, you know, that's in, in the air right now. We're buying into it in some measure. And we got to resist that just like we resist the adversary. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. So he's talking about folks that are struggling. And the psalmist writes about his experience as a sufferer. 
And he says, you know, for your sake, Lord, in your name, people are attacking us. You know, I'm trying to just do what you call me to do and, and want me to do. And, and all day long, it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm being accounted for as sheep for the slaughter. And sometimes it feels like we're, we're sitting ducks, surviving only at the mercy of, of cruel and, and unkind people. But, but the only thing that trouble can really ever take away from us are the things that really don't matter. That's important to, to reflect on. The devil can't take from me ultimately what, what matters in life. And, you know, you might take my car, my house. You know, God forbid you could even take my health. But you can't take the love I have for my God. You can't take the love I have for my family. You, you can't take the love they have for me. And there are just some things that are priceless that, that, that the enemy just has no access to. And we have to keep all that in mind. Yet, though we feel sometimes like we're sheep sent to the slaughter, though we feel like we're sitting ducks, though we feel like, you know what, the enemy's just constantly taking cheap shots. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, we are more than conquerors are five words in English, but actually in the Greek, it's only one word. And the word means super conquerors. So he says, listen, I know it looks like this. I know in, in your what? Your persecution, distress, nakedness, peril, sword, uh, famine. I know what it feels like. I know you, you feel like sheep going to the slaughter, but you need to keep God's truth in mind. Yet in all these things, you are super conquerors through him who what? Loved us. A pastor once explained this verse to me, and uh, that, that it's been you know, years and years, and it's always stuck with me. He said, a boxer once went into a ring and fought a 12-round championship fight. And it was a brutal fight, man. The guy, you know, it was knocked down a couple of times. The guy was, was bloody and, and beaten. But, but finally, he won the boxing match. And after the fight, the boxer was taken to the hospital for, for observation. And that, that happens often with, with boxers after those, those types of fights. And the manager came to the hospital with, with a check or the purse, if you will, uh, for the fight, and he gave it to the, 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 the champion. The champion was on the bed. He looked at the, the check and smiled, but he immediately gave it to his wife. You see, the boxer was a champion or a conqueror, but his wife was more than a conqueror because, you know, he had to fight the fight, but the wife just received the dividends of the fight that he already won. All the gospel is is God's riches, at Christ's expense. That's why it's good news. He paid the price so we can receive the benefit. Then Paul says something really key here. He says, for I am persuaded. This is important. At some point, you got to stop sitting on the fence because all you're going to get on the fence is, is, is splinters. You cannot make progress without making a decision. At some point, you got to decide, do I really believe this thing or do I not? The only reason we remember Paul's name is because of verses like this. At some point, he got fully persuaded about who God was and wanted to be in his life. He said, for I am persuaded. I appreciate grandma may be persuaded. I appreciate grandpa may be persuaded. I appreciate your wife or your husband may be persuaded. Maybe uh, you know, uh, one of your cousins or your aunts, someone on your neighborhood is persuaded. Maybe your, your, your bishop is persuaded. But you know what? Paul said, I am persuaded. And at some point, 
you got to come to the point of full persuasion as it relates to these questions because no one can live your life for you but you. I, I love the way the, the message translation uh, translates these next verses. Let, let's read it. He says this, none of this phases us because we know Jesus loves us. Nothing the devil can do could ever surpass God's reward for taking his or him taking us through. So knock me down nine times, I'm going to get up ten times because I know there's a reward on the other side if I just hang in there. He said, I'm absolutely convinced, and that's what I'm hoping these questions help you do. And listen to this over and over again until it gets in your heart and mind. He says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, no thing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely no thing can get between us and God's love because the way that Jesus has embraced us. The only thing that can take us out of God's hand is us choosing to leave. So note to self, everything is going to be okay. You know, as we face this crisis together, and it might even get a little more intense before it gets better, my advice to you is really, really simple. Keep doing your part. Maintain due diligence. But give the rest to God and go to sleep. Because worrying is not going to change anything. All it's going to do is just make our journey miserable. You know what? If, if we're going to go out, I'm, I'm going to try to go out with a smile on my face. And we're not going to go out. God's got us, and he will keep us. But, but you need to think all this anxiety and worry through. It's not going to help. So just do the best you can and give the rest to God. And ultimately, we just have to, to trust him. In a moment, I want us to prepare to receive communion. And uh, we're going to do a little differently today as, uh, than we, we, we typically do. And if you have a piece of bread or, or a cracker, I'd like you to, to grab that. And I'm going to go to Matthew 26 and 26, and, and I'm going to read that, that last night where Jesus instituted uh, the covenant meal. And it says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And by the way, this is not a meal for the hungry. This is a covenant meal, meaning when we eat this bread and drink of this wine, we're reminding ourselves that we are in covenant. We have something stronger than a contract with the living God. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.